We're going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 again this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you have your cell phones, you can open your uh, app to there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, as I've already shared, this uh, this past week has been rather an eventful week. Uh, I was on jury duty, and they are going to be probably going at least through Wednesday with this trial. But uh, we had... 66 people, I think, that were there to be checked out to see if they would fit for the jury. And when I finally left on Thursday morning, I was one of the last ones that they seated, and I was going to be there as an alternate. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. When you're a pastor, you go there, and they look at you, and pretty soon the defense attorney says, you know, Mr. Cochran, uh, I'd like to dismiss you. I'm not sure why that is, but I kind of have an idea because we have strong stands in what we believe, and what we believe is true and what isn't true, and uh, following the rules and the regulations. And without that, there is confusion and disorder and chaos. And I've, I've found that some people, especially as I was listening to different ones being chosen for the jury today, struggle with the idea of of making judgments and fair judgments based on the law and rules and regulations. So uh, they weren't there on the jury. But I, I see a lot of struggles that people have. And yet as Christians, God has done something very special and he's given us this book, and we're going to talk about it this morning, that sets direction for our lives. It gives guidance for how we are to live. And not only that, he has given us the Holy Spirit to encourage us and move us in various directions that he wants us to go. And so the Bible gets into that. But before we get into that, I want to give you a little bit of the background. It is important when you study the Bible to study it in context. Very easy to take the Bible and begin to pull things out of context to make them say what you want. And when we do that, that isn't in keeping with what God wants. And so we've been studying this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 12 through 22 for the last two weeks. This is the third week as we get into it. And you remember the first thing, Paul was kind of giving us an idea of how they should function within the church and their relationships with one another and their relationship with God. And the first thing he said is you need to have order. You need to have structure. It's, it's like that old game we used to play, follow the leader, when we were kids. And there would be the leader out there, and we would follow and do just what he did. Well, what Paul was saying here is that we need to uh, respond to those who are in leadership in a positive manner, especially if they are working hard and following the Word of God. And if they're not doing that, then the respect isn't there in the same way. You see, they forfeit that because they are to follow God. They are to follow God's teachings The second thing we talked about was the fact that if there are those that are struggling in the church, maybe they're struggling spiritually or just with self-esteem and the feeling of worth and value, uh, as Christians, we come alongside of one another. We support one another. We should be there as supports for one another. And uh, that's what Paul was saying here is that if you're part of the body, then you need to support those who are maybe a little weaker or struggling in some capacity and come alongside of them. Last week, we talked about the fact that the attitude of the believer is to be one of joy. It says rejoice always. Uh, joy is more than simply a feeling of happiness. That's, that's kind of based on how things are going and what's happening today and what isn't happening tomorrow. And 
you know, it's, it's based on our circumstances or what other people say or how people feel about us and some of those things. And so we talked about that, and we said there are certain robbers of our joy. We said sometimes it's, it is circumstances. It's what we're going through right now. And if our, if our joy and our relationship isn't stabilized in our relationship with Jesus Christ and our future uh, eternity is established in heaven, then, man, our circumstances can pull us all kinds of different directions. And one day you'll be happy, and the next day you're really down and depressed and you're sad, and there isn't a whole lot of stability there. We also said another robber was people. I don't know about you, but it's very easy for people to say something or do something and boy, it makes us feel bad, doesn't it? And we get caught up with what they're doing and what they're thinking, and, and you have to come back and realize that, that our joy is based on more than what other people think. We also talked about the idea of, of joy being based on stuff, accomplishments, uh, position, power, uh, things we buy, things we have, the car, the, the house, the different things. And, and boy, when we've got them, it, it is so exciting, but... When they grow a little old, all of a sudden, if that's what our joy is based on, it all kind of falls apart. And so we need to have something that's stable. The fourth one was anxiety, worry. And we worry about a lot of things. We have a lot of things to worry about. Most of us, things come into our lives. And yet our joy isn't to be based on that. In fact, Jesus said, be anxious for nothing. But he said, in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, bring your anxieties to me. He says, I want to carry them for you. And he says, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension guards your hearts and your minds at that point. And so it's, it's, it's having that relationship. And, and we talked about two things that help sustain our joy. Number one is to pray without ceasing. That was the next verse there. But having that open line to God. It, it's kind of like having your phone. If your phone's shot off, you can't talk to your best friend. If it's broken, it doesn't work. If there's a, well, the old landlines, if somebody cut the line, you couldn't talk. But as Christians, when we come and we have that right relationship with God and we spend time talking to him and in fellowship with him, boy, then during the day, if things come up, we can just say, Lord, I need your help right now. I need your support right now. I need you to help carry me right now. And you know, that's what prayer without ceasing does. It keeps us in contact with our Heavenly Father. And He is the provider of all things. The, the second thing we talked about was being thankful. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Uh, if you're really thankful, it's hard to be depressed. You know, I, I know there are reasons for depression, and there are some that are medical and different things, and, and those are there. But just, just a standard issue, if we're always negative, and we're always unhappy, and we're not very thankful, boy, it's hard to be joyful. Just evaporates. It's gone. Our joy is gone. And so if you go home, and you sit down, and every day you write out a list, what are the things I'm thankful for today? Some of them I take for granted, but what am I thankful for today? And you start your day out like that, and you look back on those periodically during the day. I'll tell you what, it's hard to stay down when you begin to look at the blessings. And so we, we look at those blessings and realize that God has blessed us. And this idea of continuous thanksgiving is so important to our joy. 
Well, God not only has made joy available, but he has given us two other gifts that I think are very important for life, and we want to look at those this morning. And I just want to read to you from um, 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 19 through 22, and realize that, that, that Paul kind of gave the negative side of it. And, and we're going to look at that this morning because it says these are things you shouldn't do. In verse 19, it says, do not quench the Spirit. So one of the great things that you and I have is the Holy Spirit. He comes and dwells our lives at the point you receive Jesus Christ. In fact, it says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have salvation. The Bible is very clear about that, that we need to have that relationship. And he indwells us. It goes on in verse 20. And it said, do not despise the prophetic utterances. Uh, we're going to talk a little more about that. But basically today it said, don't despise the Bible. But examine it carefully. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what's good. You know, hold it down. Make sure you don't lose it. Abstain from every form of evil. And that really gives us an idea of where we're going. So I want to go back and look at gift one this morning. And uh, that is in that 19th verse. It says, don't quench the spirit. And I just want to talk a little bit about what is the Holy Spirit. I, I think a lot of people are confused with this idea of the Holy Spirit. I've talked to people and, oh, they think he's maybe a, a power, the power of God or uh, it's like an electrical force, or it's kind of like Star Wars. Let the force be with you. Yeah. The Holy Spirit's a whole lot more than that. The Bible teaches us that. In fact, back in, in the book of John, if you go back to the book of John, well, let me go there for you, but write this down. In John chapter 14 and then John 16, Jesus was getting ready to leave. And he made a statement to his disciples as, he was sharing with them, and in John 14, verses uh, 16 and 17, he said, I'll ask the Father. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, one that is equal to me, one that is like me. And it, 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 the term there for helper can be translated comforter, that he may be with you forever. Not a short-term thing. He's going to be with you for the rest of your life here on the earth. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But it said, you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And so Jesus said, I'm going to leave. And then in verse 16 or chapter 16, verses 5 to 7, he says, this is for your benefit. Um, he says, now I'm going to him who sent me. I'm going to go back to the father and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You're, you're concerned because I'm leaving, he said. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, this helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'm going to send him. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me. You know, I, I've heard people say, why didn't Jesus just stick around? It had been so nice if Jesus would have just stayed. Or why didn't he come back? Well, you know, Jesus, because he took on the form of humanity, was limited in terms of time and space. 
And so Jesus couldn't be everywhere at once. He couldn't indwell all of our lives at once. He would have probably set up his kingdom there in Jerusalem. He's going to do that someday. But he was limited. But when the Holy Spirit came, he's the third person of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When he came, he can indwell each and every one of us. And Jesus said, this is so much better for you than if I stick around. Boy, if the Holy Spirit is here, he can bring about peace and comfort and, and all of those things. And, you know, as we look at him, he's more than just a force. In, in the book of Acts, uh, there's a story of a man by the name of Anna, Anna, Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And uh, some things were going on in the early church. There were individuals who were selling their houses and their homes and bringing the money in. A man by the name of Barnabas sold his farm, and he brought all the money, and he gave it to the apostles to use for people. And everybody was patting Barnabas on the back, I'm sure, saying, wow, great job. And so Ananias and Sapphira looked at that, and they thought, well, we'd like people to pat us on the back. We'd like people to tell us how good we are. What we'll do is we'll sell our home. And, and we're going to tell them that we're going to give all the proceeds of that home to the church. But in reality, we're going we're to hold some of it back. Because what if things don't work out with this church thing? And we're going to need the money. And so Ananias brought the money in. And in uh, chapter 5 of Acts, in the third verse, it says, Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. He didn't say you're lying to me. He says you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold. Didn't it remain your own? It was yours. After it was sold. Was it not under your control? Absolutely. Why is it that you conceived this deed in your heart. And you've not lied to men. But to God. Holy Spirit. And God are the same. And we need to understand that. Number one, he comes to indwell us. Jesus sent him to us. And he also is part of the Godhead. He is just as much God as the Father and the Son are, are God. In Ephesians chapter 1, it speaks of the fact that he is the security of our salvation. I can know that I have eternal life because of what the Holy Spirit's done for me. Down in verse 13 and 14 of Chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says, In him, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth and the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And so I know that it's kind of like a, a brand. I remember in my first church, we, uh, we were up in central Oregon, and we had a family that had a pretty good-sized piece of property. Uh, he had cattle on it. It was about 60, 70 acres, and he had a number of cattle on it. And we had a Western days out there with our church. And what they would do is they would bring the, the young calves in, and we would brand them all. And when that brand went on that calf, it said, it belonged to that farm. It belonged to that rancher. Do you know it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit? When he comes into your life, it says he's the seal of your redemption. He is the guarantee of your salvation. And it says he's to be here forever. That's what he said in John. 
And so we don't lose our salvation just because we mess up a little bit. It's secure because of the Holy Spirit living in us. So we look at, at this gift of the Holy Spirit. There's so many positive things. It, it says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He is in you. He is from God. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. But realize he lives in you. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, Now do you not know that you are the temple of God? And then it says the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so we look at that and we realize that we are indwelt by him. He is with us no matter what we're doing. He's always there. He's our teacher. He is our instructor. In 1 Corinthians, I'm just trying to give you a little idea of who the Holy Spirit is this morning, very quickly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but we've received the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. He is our teacher. You know, I've, I've had people tell me they've tried to read the Bible, and they say, it just doesn't make sense. I just don't get it. Why, why, why is it so hard for me to understand? And I think very often it's because they are not allowing the Holy Spirit to teach. If you go to, into a university class and they're studying the Bible as literature, let me tell you something, they're not going to understand everything about the Bible. They may think it's great literature, but they won't understand the truths of the Scripture. You don't understand those without the Holy Spirit. I remember the uh, biography of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was kind of the hitman for Nixon. He was a tough guy of uh, the Watergate scandal. And Chuck Colson went to jail. Chuck Colson was anything but a believer or a Christian. And he went to jail and he got a Bible and he began to read it. He read through it one time. He says, I don't get anything out of this. He read through it a second time. Why do people study the Bible? I still don't get anything out of it. He read through it the third time. And all of a sudden, it hit him that he needed Jesus Christ. And he needed to repent of his sins. And he did that. And it says that the Bible made sense. How he read it changed because of what the Holy Spirit did for him. Because when he received Jesus Christ, it transformed him. He now became a member of the family of God. And the Holy Spirit gave him enlightenment. And Chuck Colson became one of the major leaders during the time of his life in the Christian Church of America. He started prison fellowship. God used him in an amazing way. But it was because he finally understood what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If, if we do not have that relationship, we don't have the Spirit. It says here, the Spirit comes to instruct us in the things that God's given to us. And so we understand what he says. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, Don't be drunk with wine where is in excess or dissipation because that controls your mind and your heart and your thoughts then. That's why we have problems with VUIs. But it says be filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with one, you can't be filled with the other in the same way. And so we go back and we look at that and realize what God says here. Well, in 1 Thessalonians, going back to our passage again, it, it makes a negative statement here. It says, do not quench the Spirit. How do we do that? 
If you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, how do you quench the Holy Spirit? You know, you think of quenching, it's to uh, probably have a fire and you drown that fire out with water. You, you put it out. And when we quench the Holy Spirit, that's kind of what we do in our lives. We do such things so that he doesn't function well. He's still there, but he can't function like he was before. He's been quenched. And one way we quench him is to ignore what the Bible says and to blatantly do that which God says we're not to do. It's called sin. And when we do that without repentance, we limit the work of the Spirit in our lives. I talk to people that are oftentimes, well, they say, I'm just kind of cold spiritually. It's like I'm out in a desert. And I think oftentimes it's simply because they've quenched the Spirit and have not allowed the light to get started again, the warmth of the Spirit in their lives. Two, two things the Spirit does for us. I believe the Spirit motivates us. Um, he gets us to doing the things we should or shouldn't do. And so let me uh, give you one thing, and, and uh, it's kind of like our conscience but when I'm doing something wrong or I start to do something, the Holy Spirit motivates my mind and my heart to say, hey, don't do that. And if I ignore him, then I basically forfeit my joy. I forfeit what's going on with the Spirit. I've quenched him. And so when, when he says, don't do that, or maybe I'm involved in some activity, an activity that's not right, I need to stop and say, wow, Lord, I'm sorry. Because the Spirit moves us in such a way. He also moves us to do that which is right. That's the second thing. If he's nudging you to do something, you need to do it. Let's say you're having a prayer time. God says, oh, I want you to go over and see your neighbor. I, I want you to share with your neighbor. I want you to... Take some cookies, get to know them, build a relationship. And you say, oh, man, Lord, I am so busy. I've got so many things going on right now. I don't have time for that. You see, at that time, we're not following what he's leading us to do. I, I love this one story. It's a great one. It's like the man who said, sometimes I think, he's talking about his wife. He says, sometimes I think of how hard my wife works and how she blesses me. Man, I can hardly keep from telling her I love her. That's how the Spirit motivates us. <laughs> tell her you love her. You know, if you tell her, she'll probably fall on the floor and you'll have to pick her up, but uh, not used to that. But there are those motivations that come to our lives. And sometimes we need to just stop and say, wow, I, I think the Holy Spirit is leading me towards this. It, it, I've, I've known of people that have changed jobs. They've totally taken a different track on life, but for most people, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He just nudges us to do something with our family, with the church, be involved in some capacity, take part in some activity. And we say, I'm so busy. I just don't have time. We put hold on the Holy Spirit, and we quench his working in our life. And the Bible says... Don't quench the spirit. And then it goes on in this, this next verse. It says, don't despise the prophetic utterances. Just to give you a little background, um, when the Bible was written, of course, they didn't have the New Testament. 
these books were just, these, these letters were just being sent out, and so they didn't have all that. So God gave them gifted individuals who'd stand up in the church like this, and, and they would give God's message, whatever it was that God had given to them. Um, a word of wisdom, a word of encouragement, uh, a word of support, uh, an admonition. Whatever it was that God laid on their heart, then they would give that to the congregation. And they needed to make sure that what they said was true. They would check it out, but they didn't have the Bible we have. Today, we don't have to have that. Today, when we look at the prophetic utterances, and prophecy in, in the Greek simply means to speak clearly or to foretell. Today, we have that kind of cultic idea that it's always telling the future. But it's not about the future so much as it is clearly speaking the Word of God. It would be like standing up here and doing an exegetical study, kind of like we're doing this morning on the Word. This is what it says. And this is what we have. It says not to despise these prophetic utterances. Uh, it means don't ignore God's Word. Don't ignore what God tells you. Don't take the Bible and kind of read it and think, well, that's kind of an, a, a good thought. But over here, somebody said this, and over here... You know, I read psychology today, and it said, well, that doesn't work so well. And I, I read another book over here, the scientific journal, and it says something else. It isn't a matter of comparing the Bible with all the secular material. It's a matter of taking the Bible and saying, Lord, what do you say? It's been faithful and solid for over 2,000 years or around 2,000 years. And so we go back and we look at it and say, what does it say? What is God's will? What is the standard? Um, one of the lawyers, the attorneys this week, was trying to determine who would be faithful to the law and who wouldn't, and she gave an illustration. She said, uh, marijuana is now legal in California. People can grow marijuana. There are use uh, restrictions in some places, but you can use it. But she said in our college campuses, a lot of them, it's still illegal. For instance, DBC, she said, it's illegal. I didn't check that out. I, I expect it may be. And she said, if you were to try a case of a student that was on DBC and they had marijuana or they were using it, and it was proven that what they were doing was illegal, would you find them guilty? And even if they were losing a scholarship, Big penalty. And boy, she asked several people, and they said, yeah, I'd probably find him guilty, but I sure feel bad about it. I sure wouldn't want to. I, I think I would. I'm not sure. So when it came time to question me, she said, Mr. Cochran, let's go back to this. Now, where would you say your granddaughter? She thought my daughter. I said, my granddaughter goes to DVC. Okay, let's say your granddaughter is at DVC, and marijuana is legal every place else, but it's not legal there. And she or someone else was caught using it and tried, would I be willing to find that person guilty? I said, oh, absolutely. She said, why? I said, because it says it's against the rules. It is against the law in that circumstance. I said, in fact, if it was my granddaughter and she brought it home, she'd be in trouble there, too. And, uh, you know, the, the lawyer turned and she said, oh, it's illegal in your house, too. I said, absolutely. And the entire place laughed. 
They thought that was funny. I thought it was kind of good too, but nobody here does. Uh, but anyway, it's the idea that we need to understand that the Scripture gives us direction to follow, and we follow. And there's who are, are, there are those who say, well, I don't agree with the law. And I heard people saying that. And I, I don't want to sign somebody guilty if I can't agree with it. The issue isn't whether we agree with it or not or whether we can all have different standards. It's the fact that there is a standard. And the same thing's true when I read the Bible. I, I may not want to agree with everything I believe in the Bible. But I found that when I do, it's so much better. It's to my benefit. It's to the benefit of others. You know, the Bible says if we don't keep the commandments of God, it shows that we probably don't love him very much. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so it's a matter of going back. And, and if I want to have that relationship and I want to have that joy and I want to have that completion, it's going back and saying, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? We're rather loose in terms of, of our views in marriage in some ways, but the Bible takes some Solid stance. I remember when they were asking Jesus about divorce and whether people could divorce or not. And uh, the state of California would have a different view. The United States would have a different view. But they asked him, do, do you believe in divorce? And he said, Matthew 19, verse 4, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning created them male and female? And so he says, a man and a woman or the married partners, and he says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a, there's a oneness, a relationship that's established there, he says. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He says, What God has joined together, let no man separate. I uh, was reading some of the Hollywood gossip the other day. It comes up on my web. And it was talking about people that were getting divorced because they just couldn't get along. They called them irreconcilable differences. The Bible tells us that marriage is to be a permanent relationship, and the only reason that you would separate is if one or the other is unfaithful. Then the one who's been offended has the right to separate. Or if one is a non-believer and one's a believer, and the non-believer says, I, I don't want to be married to you anymore, you let them go. But other than that, it says you work at that marriage. You make it work. Why? Why would I do that? You don't continue to do things that are outside of the will of God. You don't be abusive. Those things aren't to be there. But certainly, we work to make the relationship go. It gives stability in our lives. We have become one flesh, the Bible says. When we have a good marriage, when we have a good marriage and it works, it's beneficial for our kids. That's what God intended for where you to raise your children. So they can look at a mom and dad and they can understand that when I get to be that age and I'm married, this is what my role is as a husband, that this is what my role is as a wife, and this is how we get along. And you know where they learn? They learn from mom and dad. They learn from what they see there. They learn to be a good dad or a good mother because of what they find in their home. And that's why the Bible says that, that we are to have those relationships. And so what the Bible says, what he says here is, do 
not despise. Don't despise the word of God because it's to your benefit to, to, to keep it, to understand it, to examine it. In fact, it goes on in verse 21 and it says, examine, it means to test, to check it out, to see if it's real. Be careful of all the people speaking because some of them that speak for the Lord aren't really speaking for him. It says, hold fast, number one, to what's good. If you find it to be true, hang on to it. But if you find it to be evil, abstain means to let it go. Don't follow that pattern. Every form of evil, the Greek actually is the idea of of not so much the, the specific, but just the form, the appearance. If it's the appearance of evil, don't do it. If you know it's right, go ahead. But if you're not sure, wow, I don't know if this is right or not. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so it's going back to the, to the Bible and saying, wow, God has given me this wonderful gift and I'm going to hang on to it and it is so important. And, you know, this is the part where the choices come in. Choices between right and wrong. What the Bible says is right or wrong and what appears to be right or wrong. And sometimes what we find to be right or wrong may not be in agreement with all of our friends. doesn't mean you quit being friends because we have different views on things. I have different views on a lot of people in terms of moral issues and standards. And I hold to what I believe doesn't mean I reject the person. But we do have to make decisions. Young people, boy, I'll tell you, as you come into your late years and teens and move into your 20s, those are the formative years of what you're going to do as an adult. Make wise choices based on the Scripture. Know what God has for you. And he goes on to talk about the fact that God sanctifies us as members of his family. We are secure in that relationship. But I just want to tell you today, going back to our passage last week. You want to be joyful? You want to have peace and contentment in your lives? You want to be satisfied with where you are? Hang on to the Bible. Make it your model. Make it your your standard to live by. Open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. And when you allow Him to set direction, you allow Him to give you guidance in your life because that's why God gives Him to you, man, it changes everything. And it changes how we see life and how we live and how we deal with issues and circumstances that come in that are out of our control. And God gives us the ability to deal with those issues and the things that sometimes we aren't so sure we can deal with. And so I'm going to encourage you this morning, you know, go back and think about this passage. As you listen to speakers, some may profess to be Christians and some may not. Make sure they're true to the Word of God. Test it. That's what it says. Test it. Evaluate it. It's like metal. Use the test to make sure that gold's real. Use the test to make sure that some of the other metals are real. Use the test of the word of God to make sure that what you hear is real. Let's pray. Father, you say uh, 
not to quench the Holy Spirit in Ephesians talks about not rejecting him as well. Help us to be aware of when the Holy Spirit moves us and not reject the direction he leads. So important, Father, that we know that you sustain us, you comfort us. Uh, you know, it says when we're anxious to bring our issues to you and you give us peace, that, that only comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so help us not to be individuals who quench the Spirit. Help us to be individuals that hold the Bible in high respect and that we apply the teachings that we find in Scripture to our lives. Not to despise the prophetic utterances, not to despise what Scripture teaches us or say, well, I don't like that or it doesn't fit in my lifestyle. But to say, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, this is what I'll do. And Father, I know that when we make that commitment, you give us the strength and the support to get through whatever we're dealing with. Thank you, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.